Hi, everybody. So how many of you think that the whole Holy Spirit thing was pretty awesome just because you heard kids' voices? Was that, that was really cool. I just, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because um, my child was sitting next to me and uh, she was singing at the top of her lungs. But now here, here's the thing you need to understand. Eliana is the only one in my family who likes coffee as much as I do. So you think that she's over there because she loves her daddy. No, she loves daddy's coffee is what happened. So uh, she'll come over and she'll just quietly look at me and take a sip and, and it's pretty awesome. And then she sings louder, which is really cool, which just confirms my whole notion that the Holy Spirit resides in the fruit of the bean. I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Have everybody, have y'all kind of recovered from the Christmas? How many of you do not want to recover from the Christmas holiday? Yeah, I, I hear that. I was telling the, the team this morning, I'm like, I'm so glad we keep up the Christmas decorations the week after because otherwise there's this big lot down. And so, hey, we're still celebrating all of that. And, and on top of it, we're getting ready to go into a brand new year. And, and uh, I, I got to be honest, for years... Um, I used to dread New Year's. I, I don't know what it was, but I remember there were times where my wife and I would be sitting on the couch and, and I'd just be kind of depressed about it. And, and I'm, not, I'm not sure why that was. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I felt like the, the, the year that just went by were a bunch of missed opportunities, and I, I don't know. But something over the years has, has kind of changed <clears throat> inside of me, and I start looking at the turn of the calendar as being kind of a fresh start to things, um, as if it's you know like a blank page we can we can start writing again. I don't know what shifted in my mind. I I don't know what it was, but for me that's kind of what what's happened. Maybe it's just happened with age. Maybe it's experience. I'm not really sure. And I stopped doing resolutions. I'm just going to tell you that up front. I don't do New Year's resolutions. It doesn't mean I don't set goals for the year because I do. I set I set some goals. I have some things that I want to make sure that I accomplish. But, but I think what's happening for me, at least this year, is chasing after the presence of God. I, I really think that's kind of the issue. And, and I'm going to just kind of give you a, a foreshadowing of some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. Is My sense is that for a church, our theme for this next year is going to be chasing after the presence of God. Chasing God. And um, spending some time in His presence individually and then corporately. Because my firm belief is if we're not experiencing it individually, it's very difficult to experience it corporately. Does this make sense? But at the same time, I think when, when we begin to falter a little bit, when we begin to trip up, and that does happen, sometimes you have to get to the assembly where the presence of God is there to fuel you in your individual life. So it's kind of this, this relationship that builds on each other. I guess we call that symbiotic. I don't know, I'm not a biologist, but you may know what it is. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember is that sometimes we have to do things individually to experience it corporately, but corporately also fuels what happens individually. And and, and I, I really hope that this year we allow God to speak into our individual lives. And my fundamental belief um, is, and we, we started Thrive Church with this idea, is that God wants us to, to be like Jesus. He wants us to grow to be like Jesus. And, and, and this is, is, is important because it is threaded throughout the entire Bible. Sometimes it's called holiness um, sometimes, we, sometimes we call it discipleship. If you're old-time Wesleyan, you probably remember the word perfection 
or sanctification. It's that $5 word. It's another word for discipleship. We like to call it here, around here, growth and maturity. But all of these things talk about this intentional process of us growing, changing, transforming into the likeness of Jesus. And here's the deal. (laughs) The world doesn't need another church. Tulsa, Oklahoma doesn't need another church. But your friends and your family need a lot more Jesus. And we know this. We just need some more more Jesus. And so if we can be a a catalyst or a conduit or some way to help people become like Jesus, I think this is really important. The the brilliant writer of Hebrews, genius, that book is an amazing book. But in the sixth chapter, the first verse, one of the things that he says, and I, I, I can't ever escape this, is he says, let's go beyond the basics. Let's not build a foundation of basics anymore, but let's go beyond it. That's growth, right? That's not just staying still and being comfortable with just me and my personal Jesus, but rather, what does this mean for me and what does this mean for my everyday life? I, I really think that it's about growing to be like Jesus. The basic problem, though, and you know this, is that Jesus is here, and you down here, and there's a big gap in between the two, right? Because it doesn't matter how uh, much I, I, I want to grow to be like Jesus, there's always another step. And I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been in the church. I know a lot of people who've been in the church most of their lives, and they're still baby Christians. Everybody has another step because that gap is so is so wide. Jesus is here. Or if you don't like this and this, let's do it like this. Jesus is here, you're here, and there's a gap in between, right? The point is, is that there's this gap. And we know this, and we know it intuitively, or we know it by experience, and I really believe that God wants his people to grow. Now, I'm not talking here about works righteousness. For those of you who like theology, that's about um, earning my way into heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. What we do, how we grow, the work that we try to do on ourselves with the help of Jesus doesn't make God love us more, okay? God loves you perfectly. There is nothing you can do to make him love you more. In in fact, there's, there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He loves you perfectly. And he's got our best interest at heart, and his best interest is Jesus. He showed us what his best interest was. It was Jesus. And I think the other piece of this idea of growth that we've got to wrap our minds around is growth is not passive. It's not something that just happens. Jesus ain't a magic wand. Pling. No, it doesn't work that way. Lots of people I know who believe in Jesus, but they don't always act like Jesus. Can I get an amen on that one, right? I think it happens all the time. And in fact, if I'm perfectly honest, and you know, my, my goal here is to be transparent, sometimes that happens when I'm looking in the mirror. I got lots of work to do, just like everybody else. <clears throat> we know that we need growth of some type. It, it is human, especially if you're self-aware. If you're aware of yourself, you know that you need some growth in your life. And by the way, this is not an exclusively Christian thing. This is a human thing. We, we know we need growth. And so we pursue change, especially at New Year's. 
And one of the things that we do at New Year's, we either celebrate the new year or we try to forget the last year, right? We try to do those things. And, and there's going to be a lot of people who are gathered at, uh, at uh, what is it, Times Square in, in New York City. They're trying to forget 2018. And, and you can tell by the way they behave on television. And, and that's just true. I think that's a human thing that when there's this change in the calendar, and here we are on the doorstep of 2019, boy, that's just weird to say, isn't it? And, and it's going to take me, oh my gosh, it's going to take me probably three months to get used to writing 2019 on my checks. Does anybody write checks anymore? <laughs> Maybe they don't. I don't know. That's so 2017, clearly. So. <laughs> but next year will be different. It can be different. And it's allowed to be different. Because here's the thing, I, I really believe that if if the, the writer of, of Hebrews and this thread that we find throughout the Bible about discipleship and growth, if it's there, then that means we can grow. We can become more like Jesus. And I think that's an important thing because if you don't believe that fundamental truth, then all the rest of this isn't going to make any sense. But I think because it's there, because there's an urging to be more like Jesus, it's possible for us to become more like Jesus. And we pursue these in different ways, don't we? These New Year's resolutions and we, this, this desire for us to change and to grow, we pursue these in a, in a variety of different ways. First, and, and you know this, is we want to eliminate something that's negative. Right? Like, I want to quit smoking. Not me personally, but you know, but you know, you may, you may want to quit smoking or whatever. You're trying to eliminate that negative part. You may want to lose weight. Yes, that is me. Okay, and or or maybe there's a toxic relationship you want out of. We want to eliminate something negative, and, and virtually every New Year's resolution falls into this category or the next one. We want to gain or obtain something positive. Maybe if you're a single person, you want a new relationship. Or maybe, um, maybe you want a new job or something that earns a little more income or whatever. There's something that you're pursuing because you want to gain more of it. And you find a lot of New Year's resolutions related to that, don't you? Yeah. <clears throat> I think the third thing, and, and the one that we often miss, is that sometimes we want change because we just want to embark on an adventure. I think that's a God-given thing, too. We get into this rut and we just need a new adventure. Some of you know that I have an assistant. Um, her name is Kelly, and she um, lives in another part of the country, and she works for us virtually. She supports both me and the entire Thrive Church staff. She's an amazing individual, and if you're watching this, Kelly, yes, I said that live. And uh, the thing about her, a couple weeks ago, she let us know that she was moving. Her husband's job was changing, and so they had to pick up in stakes. Now, she had lived in the same city most of her life, and she's roughly my age. So that's, you know, fairly good, good season of time. And she was moving to the southeast part of the country. <clears throat> and there was a certain amount of anxiety. And we were just talking about it one day. And I said, you know what? I said, I hate to tell you this, but I will tell you to take the adventure 10 out of 10 times. And the reason for that is it gets us out of that rut. It causes us, in many respects, to trust God more because it's unfamiliar. And I think one of the great enemies of trust is familiarity. <clears throat> We just kind of get used to living life a certain way, and God likes to shake things up and send us on an adventure. And sometimes we need to think of it that way rather than as a negative, but as, as something that's, that's, that's positive. 
You know, and I think all of these things are a great idea to eliminate, to gain, to embark. I think all of those things are a really, really positive. But I, I wonder something, especially when it comes to our faith and when it comes to our, 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 our um, discipleship and growing to be like Jesus, I wonder what it would be like if we checked in with God about our growth. Because, you know, follow this with me. If, if Jesus is our best interest, right, and, and God has our best interest at heart, if we, if we can, if it's possible for us to be, become more like Jesus, and if, and if God has our best interest at, our, at heart, then maybe, just maybe, God has an idea about what he wants us to work on to be more like Jesus. Does that make sense? Is that sometimes I think we, we do the shotgun effect. We hope we hit the target. And with a shotgun, you're going to hit the target. You may not hit the bullseye, but you're going to hit the target. And God is more, more or less saying to us, if you check in with me, there might be a bullseye here. There might be this thing that you need to work on, that I know you need to work on, and if you check in with me, you're going to gain some progress here. Is this making sense? It's this idea of checking in with God about our discipleship. Now, fortunately, we get help um, from a man named Paul. Paul wrote a good portion of the New Testament. Uh, he set up a lot of churches, and he wrote letters to them, and we have some of those letters. And in one of those letters, it's in the book of Philippians, um, he writes this, chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Ooh, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And what he's saying here is he says, I want to know Christ. I want to experience Jesus. That's discipleship. Please understand that. That's what he's talking about here. This idea of knowing Christ, experiencing Christ, is at its heart discipleship, learning to be like him. He goes on. Not that I have already obtained all this. No, clearly not. We all have the gap, right? Even Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, is saying to us, I haven't gotten there yet. I still have a gap too. I still have another step to take. I, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to notice something. And I do this almost every year when I preach this message. What does it say? One thing I do. Not 37 things. Not 15 things. Not even three things. One thing. One thing that I do. Just one. That's what I focus my attention on. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have a task list that's, you know, as long as your arm. I've got one of those too. It doesn't mean we ignore that. But the point is, is that when it comes to your discipleship, it's focusing on that one thing that God points out to you in your discipleship. One thing I do. See, I think sometimes we have too many choices. It's part of the culture that we live in. 
some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I used to work for um, a clothing store when I was in college. A.R. <clears throat> Danes Clothiers. You've never heard of it because Mr. Danes lived in Holland, Michigan. And he had a clothing store, and he sold high-end um, Nautica and Polo by Ralph Lauren and a couple of other name brands that you, know, you would see it <clears throat> that have really high price tags on them. <laughs> and I worked for this clothing store. And uh, we had this one table. It was round, and it had ties of all colors, neckties. And um, they were very expensive. They were like 50 or 60 bucks a pop. And, and as a college student, I knew I couldn't afford any of those. And, but but he's, he came into the, the store one day. He says, boys, because it was me and another um, kid from college, boys, we need to increase our tie sales. So here's what I want you to do. Every time one of your, your customers wants to buy um, a shirt, you take the shirt over to the tie, tie table and you don't show them the ties. He says, I want you to pick three ties. And you take three ties that you think would go with that shirt and you lay the tie out on top of the shirt and allow the customer to choose one of those three ties. Doggone it, if Mr. Danes didn't, wasn't on to something because we increased our tie sales by like 45% in the next week. Because we took all of those choices, probably 300 ties on this table. I mean, there's a lot of ties. And we narrowed it down to three. Three is easier to pick from than 300, right? We have so many choices. We have so many decisions we have to make. So what happens is we don't make any decisions at all. The same thing is true with discipleship, is that when we have so many things we're trying to focus on, we don't focus on any of them. Isn't this true? Isn't that why when you get that task list, you get overwhelmed? That's me. I see 15 different things to do, and I have to just focus on one at a time. A rabbit hunter can only hunt one rabbit at a time. I had somebody tell me that a long time ago. Have you noticed the, the, uh, the menu at Chipotle? How many of you go to Chipotle? Yeah, if you haven't, you should. Uh, it's, very, it's very good food. Um, but the thing about Chipotle is it has a very simple menu. There's only like three or four items that you can get, and you, you can get like three or four options within those three or four items. The whole point of that store is to get you in, get you fed, and get you out again. And they do it by simplifying their menu so you don't have so many choices to make. There's, there's a rationale for that. Because if you have too many choices, you end up not making any choice. And the point is, is that they want you to make a choice so that you pay your money, eat your food, and leave so that they've got the table for the next person. It's very simple. So today, just like I do every year, <clears throat> I want to offer one way of of helping you gain some clarity on the one thing. One thing that I do. One thing. This is a methodology that I've used a number of years. I got this from another pastor friend of mine probably, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. And quite frankly, <clears throat> that change from dread to enjoying the new year, I think has to do with this methodology. Okay? And I will tell you right up front, I am engaged in this process right now. So I am doing this with you. I'm not you know, just telling you to do this. This is the process that I use. It's just one way. If you can find another way, that's cool. This is the way that, that I do it. So the first one, and uh, if there should be a little handout. Hopefully we've got enough. If we don't, that's fine. I'll make it available online. Now the first thing to do is to select a theme for the year. And you've got um, on that little sheet <clears throat> a list of potential themes. And I don't know. There's, I don't know, like 30, 40 different possible themes there. It is not an exhaustive list. It's just a list to get you to, to think about it. 
And especially if you've never done anything like this before, this is really, really helpful. And so here's how you select a theme. The first thing you do is you pray. Oh, God, <laughs> help me to pick a theme. Because remember, we're trying to check in with him about our discipleship. And my guess is, is that there's going to be a word or a phrase, a theme of some type that's going to capture your attention. And so you pray about it. And you say, God, help me decide what my theme is. And then you just review the list. And, and you can do this a number of different ways. You can just kind of scan over the list, or you can read every single word. And for most people, not everybody, but for most people, one of those words will pop out at you. I don't know how to describe it other than that. It's just something that'll just jump out. It will capture your attention for whatever reason. Not always, but usually. And it's really funny because sometimes those words will jump out at you. You already know what they are. There are some folks who are like, well, I didn't see my word on the list. I'm like, that's okay. The Holy Spirit is still talking to you. It doesn't have to be on the list. But for the vast majority of folks, one of those words will jump out at you. And here's the thing that I've noticed over the years. The Holy Spirit will highlight one, maybe two, and on rare occasion, three words. One, maybe two, on rare occasion, three. If you're looking at that list and you are thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to work on all of these, that's not from God. Okay? That's not from God. One, maybe two, and on rare occasion, three words only. And I've seen this over and over and over again. One, maybe two, and on rare occasion, three. And they may, may or may not be related to each other. They may be related in your mind, but it, it depends from person to person. One, two, on a rare occasion, three. Sometimes um, it's not just a word, it's also a phrase. So you might see a word, but it might be a phrase that comes to mind too. So don't be afraid of a phrase being your theme for the year. It may be a word, but it also might be a phrase. It kind of depends. Um, it seems to me that it usually is a word, but every now and then a phrase will come to mind. I'm fairly certain that, that one of the things that I'm going to be wrestling with this year is, is a phrase. So it's just, that's just me. But I've noticed this too. Every now and then I'll talk to someone and they're like, yeah, this is a phrase. It's not a word. I'm like, oh, that's okay. You know, if the Spirit's guiding you on that one, trust the Spirit, not David. Okay, I'm just going to put that one out there. So keep that in mind. So one, two, on a rare occasion, three words, and it might, might be a phrase. And the next thing you do is when you select this theme, write it down somewhere. Whether you have a journal or if you've got a post-it note, write that bad boy down so that you've got the word. Here's what I do. When I have my word or phrase, I have got a dry erase marker, and I will write it on the mirror in my bathroom. So when the bathroom gets steamy, I see it, right? Or when I'm brushing my teeth, I see that phrase. That's up there, or that word, that theme. You've got to write it down and keep it in front of you. Whether you write it on a bunch of post-it notes and put it on your, your, your computer at work, you put it on your dashboard in your car, whatever it happens to be, the idea is that you write that word down somewhere. And keep praying about it and saying, God, I think this is what my theme is. What is it that you want to tell me about it? And then the next thing that I always try to do is I try to define the word. Go to a dictionary. If you don't have a dictionary, dictionary.com will do just fine. There's a couple of them out there. And try to find what the definition of that word actually is. 
Because sometimes there might be a nuance in that definition that you never thought of before that God is really trying to poke your heart about. And the other thing is to find a thesaurus. Find other words that are like it. Because maybe it's not that word, maybe it's a similar word. And we, we create uh, what we call as a semantic field. And so you've got one word, and then you've got a variety of other words that overlap that meaning, and that may give you some texture as to what God's trying to tell you about that word or phrase. Does that make sense? And I'm telling you, don't skip that part. I find that as soon as I start digging into what the word actually means, that's when this thing starts coming to life for me. And so once you've defined it, once you've created that semantic field, Here's a novel idea. Go to the Bible and try to find it. See what the Bible has to say. What does the Scripture say, or where does it use your word or phrase? Does it even use that word or phrase? Maybe that's why you had to go look up synonyms for it, so that you could find those words in the Bible. But the point is, is that God will often speak to you through His Word. There's a novel concept. So look into the, what the word means, but then try to find it in the scriptures too. And the other thing is, I, I really think that it's a great idea to talk with other people about it. Um, just to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing that you know, theme for a year thing that, that uh, Thrive does every year, and I think this is my word. What does that word mean to you? It doesn't have to be this major kind of deal. It can just be a simple conversation. What, is, what do you think that word means? Or, or do you have any idea why maybe God might be highlighting that in my life? I'm trying to do that with somebody who knows you a little bit, okay? Um, but, but ask that. This is a great conversation starter for spouses. You're just saying, you know, that theme for a year, I'm thinking this is, this is the word. What, what do you think? What, what do you think that word means? And see where that conversation goes. Um, here's, a, here's another great idea. Turn off the television and talk to your spouse about it. <laughs> You know, put down your phone and talk to your, your spouse about whatever your word or your phrase is. And ask them what they think about it. And I really think this idea is don't overcomplicate this. Learn in a way that makes sense to you. Because you're learning about the word. You're learning about the phrase. You're learning what it is that it really means so that when you, when you interact with God about it, you have some basis of understanding. Okay? So, select a theme. That's the first step in the process. It will take you some time to do. Um, second is build routines. <clears throat> build routines. Um, and I, I think that um, for me, uh, this is where I've failed in the past. I didn't build routines. This is why I think you have to keep it in front of you. You know, notes, mirrors. Put alarms on your phone. That's another great way to do it. Pick a time during the week um, or in the day where that word comes up as an alarm on your phone. It's a great way to do it because it keeps it at the top of, top of your mind. And as soon as it comes up on your phone, you're going to think about that phrase and go, okay, God, what does this mean? What do you want to tell me about this word? And see what he says. Uh, this is an interactive type of thing between you and God, which, by the way, is part of discipleship. Another great way to, to um, keep it as part of one of your routines is to journal about it. <clears throat> if you don't keep a journal... I recommend that you do. Um, for me, it's been life-changing, and I think for a lot of others it has been too. I know that's not everybody's cup of tea. That's okay. But even if you had a journal just about your word or phrase, keep a cheap notebook. Cost you 98 cents at Walmart. And just write that word down and things that you're learning about it. Just occasionally write it down 
in that, that journal so that you're not thinking about it all the time, but you have a place that you can go back to and reference. That's part of the routine of doing this, okay? So keep that in mind. I think that's an important thing. I think it's worth thinking about. Uh, third is to form a team. <clears throat> Please don't do this by yourself. That's not what God has in mind for discipleship. Um, yes, learning to be like Jesus is really you know, kind of a, um, an individual sort of exercise, but God never, ever intends for us to do things alone, so don't do it. Try to find some people around you um, that you can, can interact with about this, like your spouse being one of them, of course, but also um, maybe that word or phrase you see in the life of somebody that you know. Maybe it's a characteristic. Talk to them about it. Hey, I've, I've noticed that you're really good at patience. And by the way, if you know who that is, let me know, because I would really like to talk to them. But maybe you know somebody who's really good at patience. And just say, how did you get like that? Or, you know, what, how are you able to maintain your cool or your patience or whatever it happens to be? Um, nine times out of ten, you will surprise them. But that's okay, because that's an encouragement to them that God is actually working in their life. That's okay. And just allow the conversation to go where it goes. Does this make sense? It's just about noticing something in someone else's life and just saying, how did you do that? I had a friend of mine in seminary who, I don't know how he did this. It was amazing. He would get his syllabus at the beginning of, of the, um, the class, and then he would count all of the pages that he needed to read. And then he would divide by the number of days that um, he had in the semester. So he knew how many pages he had to read every single day in order to complete the reading by the end of the semester. Don't you hate people like that? <laughs> but let me tell you, he always had his reading done. And then the only reason I knew that is because I asked him, I'm like, how is it that you always get this done? And he says, well, yeah, I go through this whole process and you do this. Wow, I, I needed to know that. I didn't necessarily follow his advice once I learned it. But the point is, is that you, you acknowledge that somebody else has this skill or this ability or this characteristic or this nature about them that, that you sense that God is trying to build into your own life. Model it. You know, find what somebody else is doing and just saying, okay, maybe I can do that too. It's really, it's a helpful, helpful thing to go through. So, uh, so find people who exhibit that quality. Um, find people who are encouragers. There's just some people who are naturally good at encouraging. Um, you know who they are. Uh, they're just really good at it. And just, um, if you, if you find, find them and they, they're willing to do it, have them be your encourager to check in with you. Just say, hey, I'm working on this theme. And uh, in about three months, can you check in with me on it? Can I just say something? I have offered this uh, possibility. Let's see, I've probably preached this 10 years now. I don't know. No one has ever taken me up on that. Nobody has. Nobody has ever said, hey, I'm going to be doing this. Would you mind checking in with me on it occasionally? Nobody's ever done that. So double dog dare you. Find some people who are willing to pray with you about this too. And here's the thing I want to I talk about prayer. There are some people who are really good at praying long-term for you, okay? Um, a lot of you have heard me tell this story. My wife and I, we have our friend. Her name is Heather. 
and Heather lives up in Wisconsin, and when we are going through something, we call Heather because Heather will pray until we tell her to quit. That's just the way she is. She's wired this way. She loves spending time in prayer. It's, it's both astonishing and intimidating at the same time. But man, I'm glad when she's on my side with that kind of stuff. And maybe you know somebody like that who's willing to pray for you long term. It's great that you can access that person. But if you don't have that person in your life, here's what you can do. And I, I really recommend this one. You go to a person that you know prays, and you simply say, I've got this theme that I'm working on in my life. Would you mind praying for me about it? I'm just going to ask you to do it one time this week. Because if they're not the kind of person who does the long-term prayer, you're going to... People say, well, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then they forget, or they don't do it. But if you just ask them, hey, just one time, you know, even if it's today, would you just mind praying for me about this, this one thing? Almost everybody says yes. And almost everybody actually does it. Even if they do it right on the spot. Hey, that's cool. That's more prayer than you had when you, than when you started, right? The, the point is, is that you want to find somebody who's willing to do that with you. <clears throat> just one, one time. Give them a timeline. Just a time frame. I find that when people say, hey, David, would you pray for me? It is much easier for me to sit and pray for them right there on the spot because I know my life. I know how my brain works. I will forget. It's not because I don't love you. It's because God has wired me a certain way. And if I'm going to pray for you, the best thing I can do is pray for you right there on the spot. That's just kind of how that works for me personally. Not everybody's like that. That's how I am. And so I prefer to do that. That's why when James and I go back off in the corner, we want you to come pray, you know, come pray with us or let us pray for you because that gives us an opportunity to do it. And we don't want to forget if you need prayer. We're, we're committed to that. We want to make sure that you feel like you are loved and cared for and that we go to, to the Father on your behalf. That gives us a perfect opportunity to do it. The other thing you can do is we've got a little card in the back. If you need prayer, you write it down. That goes to our staff meeting, and our staff will pray for you. Promise. Okay? So prayer is an important part. If you've got a theme, find somebody who will pray for you, who will encourage you and pray for you. And uh, maybe it's just a one-time ask. That's great. You need that prayer. Okay, so number four. Uh, let's, uh, so select a theme, build routines, form a team. Form, is watch the time. And this is fascinating to me because <clears throat> I've been doing this now for, for quite some time. First of all, you have to watch the time in selecting your theme. Um, sometimes you're going to read that list. Nothing jumps out at you. It's aggravating. It's frustrating. But you might need to, to marinate on some things for a little while. And sometimes God wants you to struggle. Remember, Jacob wrestled with God. Sometimes you need to wrestle with God over these types of things. And that's a good thing because that means it's important and that means it's something that God really wants to do in your life. He wants you to grab hold of it and not let go. So sometimes you have to let that thing marinate and just keep at it. Keep asking God, God, what is it that you want me to focus on? What's my theme for the year? Stay connected to him somehow until you've actually selected that theme. Don't give up. I promise it's worth it. So watch the time in selecting. But also watch the amount of time in the growth. Because I've noticed this. Some themes will, will only last a couple of months you're going to have this theme and God's going to teach you everything that he wants to teach you in just a few months. 
And then another theme may come out of that. Something, a word or a phrase may come out of that, of those moments. Other themes last for years. I had one theme that went for three years. Clearly, I was either slow or God just had a whole lot of work he needed to do. Either way, the point was, is growing and learning and maturing and becoming the person that God wants me to be. And I've also noticed that sometimes there's an overlap. As one theme, as you're beginning to really grasp that theme, another one will rise to take its place. I don't know why that is, but it seems to be the case. And it may, not be, may or may not be related to the, the one you just got done with. I'm not sure why that happens, but it does. But so be open to what, you know, how God is, is actually moving. So four-step process. Select a theme, build some routines, form a team, and just watch the time on this. But I want to leave you with just a couple of quick cautions. I think this is really important. Caution number one is this. Sometimes your theme is not about you. Sometimes um, it's about what God wants you to know about Him. Very often, if you sense that um, your theme is love, one of the things that you need to check in with is, God, are you trying to build more love in my life, or are you trying to communicate how much you love me? See the difference? Now, they may be related at some point, but may not, may not be about you. It may be about what God wants you to know about Him. Does that make sense? I think that's really worth thinking about. Secondly, and I want you to hear me, church. If you are looking at that list and you are saying to yourself, I got to work on every one of these. No, that's not from God. But the other thing is that you hear these voices in your head. I'm never going to get it right doesn't matter which one God picks. I can't do it. If you feel unworthy or condemned, that is not from God. Ever. God does not condemn us in the growth cycle. He doesn't condemn us for that. If you are feeling like you are unworthy or condemned or not good enough or not smart enough or not spiritual enough or whatever nonsense the pit of hell is spitting up, don't listen. In my experience, every time God has convicted me of something, God has said, oh, David, you're missing out. I've got something so much better for you. That's not condemnation, that's conviction. But there is something more positive. If you're only feeling the negative pressure, that is not God, ever. We serve a God of hope and a God of healing that there are steps out of that mess that you're in. That's the God we serve. So if you're feeling condemned or unworthy, oh, that's not from God. That is so not from Him. And you probably need some prayer support on that one. And here's the last caution. Maybe you've tried this in the past and nothing's happened. Maybe you haven't felt like you've had any growth. Can I just encourage you to try again? Just 
Just one more time. Try it again. Commit to trust God throughout the process. I don't know what that means for you, but maybe it's digging in a little bit deeper. Maybe it's finding someone else to help you. I don't know what that is, but try again. And chase the presence of God because all of this happens when we're in his presence, when we're trying to be connected. Even if you don't feel it, God honors the work of trying to connect with him. That's what he wants for us. Remember, if he, if he wants us to grow, that means we can. So just encourage you to try one more time. Now maybe all of this is, is new to you. Maybe it's a little different. Maybe some of you are even saying, well, that's a little silly. You know what? That, that's okay. Um, I understand that. But I want to leave you with this, this question. And this is the one I want you to meditate on. Fine. You don't want to do this exercise? That's, that's cool. You can, you can do a hundred other things. But how will you be different this time next year? How will you be more like Jesus next year on New Year's Eve? How are you going to do it? Just encourage you to find something to connect back to the Father who wants you to be like Jesus and may have an idea of the types of things that are going to get you there. With me? As always, um, Pastor James and I will be in the back. Love to pray about you with this stuff. I, I, here's what I would really like to know because I'm nosy. I just am. Sit next to me in a coffee shop and you and I are going to have a conversation because I'm nosy. I just kind of want to know what theme you're thinking about. You know, catch me in the hall and just say, hey, by the way, I, th I think this is my theme for this year. Cool. I, I would like to know that. So um, if you want some prayer about it, Pastor James and I would be back there to do that. I would be delighted to help you. Look, here's the thing. I want you to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. And maybe if we do this thing together, um, we're going to feel his presence even more strongly this year than we've had in the past. Um, and I, I feel like God's doing something special here, and I'm glad to be a part of it.